Welcome back to the podcast. We get another great episode for you today. Alan here, and I personally want to invite you into the Right Side Up community. We have created and curated a conversation and a community around healthy leadership on Facebook. Yes, I know that many of you are considering quitting on Facebook. Some people have. The conversations have been less like conversations and more like throwing mud at each other. We get it, which is why we've created a safe space to talk about how we can live and lead right side up in this upside down world. It's called the Right Side Up Community. It's free. We give you access behind the scenes. We have healthy and robust conversations with you. Leaders are learning from one another. They're recommending books, podcasts, new ideas, wrestling with hard topics, and often will just ask a question, have other leaders to come alongside of them and to share the answers with them, to invite them into new paradigms. It's been really exciting to watch over there. Great conversations are breaking out. You don't want to miss the Right Side Up community. Just go ahead and apply to be in that, and we will gladly let you in. Friends, your leadership matters too much. We want to continue to have conversations about health and impact so you can live and lead well for the long haul. Now, on to the podcast. Welcome to the podcast, Michael. Pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Man, I love these conversations. I, you know, kind of geek out a little bit on these. And so I don't know if anybody else is going to enjoy listening, but I'm certainly going to be excited to, to dive in a little bit. Leaders, organizations, uh, you do a lot of different stuff. Can you kind of boil down when somebody at a party bumps into you, you know, spills your drink a little bit, you know, and says, what do you actually do, Michael? How do you answer that? Uh, I help people who want to make their organization better achieve that goal. Uh, and not in a superficial way, but in a very, very deep built to last structural way that involves people and brings people on the journey instead of losing them. Awesome. And what are a couple of the ways um, or kind of primary pathways to that? Yeah. So I originally got involved in this line of work. It's been a long emerging journey, but through this thing called agile, which originally started in a software development context, but it's actually uh, like really a system of thinking of how do we work together to create extraordinary products and services. And that's really just kind of a gateway because what I realized is that agile alone is insufficient because it's very much focused on how do we work together and so on very, uh, very powerful work practices. But what I realized is that these are only going to going to succeed to the extent that we have a, a cultural environment uh, where where new ways of working can thrive. So, and to get that, that actually requires a, a new way of being, a shift shift of mindset, shift of worldview of the leadership who are holding the whole system, in which we hope you know people will show up at their best, in which you know uh, these these things might you know these new ways of working we hope for and uh, that will help us be more successful in this changing world rest. Yes. Define agile for me. I'm tracking with you. How do you define an agile organization or agile? However uh, you pronounce that. Yeah. Agile. So I, so I think, you know, let me talk about agile. I'll give you two versions. The narrow version is agile is a set of processes that allow people to be more iterative and adaptable. That'd be the, the narrow view. Um, the more expanded view, sort of version two, would be it's about putting people over process. That's mm -hmm. probably the most compact definition of agile. Okay. Now, the real kind of the, I think version three 
which is agile's pointing to a more evolved culture system, a more evolved way of functioning where people are uh, invited to show up more like an adult and people do take more responsibility, you know, high, extraordinarily high levels of engagement. That's what it's actually pointing to and uh, designed for. Hmm. Are there a couple of kind of famous agile organizations that you can point to that we'd recognize? Well, let, let me go to, to what I think agile maturity is here, which is to realize that um, agile is just one wave in the ocean of change and creating a movement towards high performance. So if you think you're, you're trying to become an agile organization, you've lost sight of what's important, which is you, your customers, the people who work in your organization, what your organizational purpose is. And so I, I think this is a, the work that I do is really rehabilitating uh, people to understand that agile is a means to an end. So the moment you think you're trying to create an agile organization, you've completely lost sight of what's important. And from your angle during COVID, what shifted? What changed? Uh, well, for me, you know, I, I spend my time traveling around the world, uh, training leaders on on showing up differently and helping organizations function in a different way. So for me, I, I stopped getting on airplanes and started getting on Zoom. And we actually have a whole studio set up in one one part of our house to create a really dynamic, engaging experience to take not, not a, not just a training, but to take people through an experience to understand the conditioning that we have. Like we're all really, and most people, you know, who are more aware, understand this. We're all caught up in this industrial mindset, industrial management system, which is what leads to, you know, low levels of engagement or mixed levels of engagement. So most people have those. That's a reflection of as leaders, this deeply wired, command and control habits. So we start people to become aware of what they're doing, the damage they're causing and start to show, well, these are healthier behaviors. This is the path to grow into, to unlock the people around you. Cause everybody wants more responsible, more motivated, more adaptable people around them. But it's like, well, what do I need to do to create that kind of outcome for others? It's like, Oh, wait a second. I need to change. I, the, wow. This is within my control. It's not trying to fix people. It's about really working on myself that I have the ability, the capability to create those energized, passionate, motivated people who are acting like adults. They're going to allow us to serve our customers and serve our purpose and, and really be extraordinarily successful. Yes. Yes. What, so what does it take? I mean, if everybody's talking about attracting and retaining talent that is deeply engaged, that is rarely yeah. bored, that it truly is in it. What does that actually take? Yeah. So if your company is having the conversation about how do we attract talent, you are doomed. It means you're in the old school mentality, old school industrial management paradigm. Game of over. Thinking that, yeah, game over. You, you're doomed. You cannot win that game. Because if you think the game is about attracting talent, you don't understand what's going on. The game is not attracting talent. The game is retaining your existing talent and having those people that have fire in their belly and show up passionate, motivated every single day. When you focus on that, you'll have no problems with attracting talent. You That problem will go away. You're, it's actually trying to solve a surface, the, the surface problem. You know, uh, I have pain because I can't attract talent. I can't retain talent. But the problem is that your organizational environment and culture is so toxic, so negative, so so damaging that people don't want to come there or people leave it. Mm. And essentially, we see a lot of this challenge is that a lot of leaders were okay. They were okay during regular times when people come in the office. But now that they're in COVID times and everything's remote or mostly remote, 
people are required, leaders are required to show up at a more elevated level to really treat their people well, to really understand how to engage with their people, to get them to be motivated. And, and, and it's not trying to fix people. It's about how do we as leaders interact? How do we show up in ways that will lead to that passion, that engagement? And 99% of it is stopping the damage, stopping these, as I said, these command and control habits that we're not even aware that we have, right? And we try to fix this and try to fix that. But until we stop causing the damage, all the good we try to do, all the shifts we try to do, don't really add up to much against this tidal wave of damage that's not visible to us. Hmm. Uh, give me a couple of tip-offs that you see when you look at an organization, either from the outside or the inside, what are a couple of those damage areas that a leader listening could literally just focus on and stop and the organization could immediately get better? Yeah, so I'll, I'll give you an example right now. Uh, we're in annual employee review time. This is uh, extremely dis- destructive. It's been shown that the psychological effects are like being taken out behind the building by eight big guys and beaten down and shaken for all your wealth. I mean, it's psychologically very destructive, right? So really your report card is right now. If there is any surprises right now, it means you're doing a horrible job managing your people. If the your staff member is not able to write 90% of their own employee review themselves, because they've been getting advice, coaching, information, support throughout the year, then you don't know what you're doing as a leader. Like really in all fairness, you're not looking after the person who's reporting to you. And I'd say that's most leaders. Most leaders are so busy. I mean, think about this. This is a checklist for people listening. Are you focused on project delivery? Are you focused on making sure deadlines are met? Are you focused on quarterly targets and objectives? Or are you focused on your people? Are you focused on making sure that they're looked after? Are you focused on creating an environment where they're looked after? Are you in, in like regular communication of what's happening with your people? You know exactly the pulse of what's going on. Um, and, 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 and you, and you, you got an open door and people are using that door, like where, what's going on. And like, we're all caught in the trap of focusing on, on quarterly goals, deadlines, you know, and, and it's like, we're not focusing on the things that will actually let those projects get done it's the people doing the project and we just, we just look after them. It's a common, I mean, for me, it's so mind boggling. We just look after our people. They will get the work done. People want to be successful at work. People want to contribute. We just have to get out of the way. We just have to stop causing the damage. That's one employee engagement. It's so toxic, so damaging. I'll tell you with one of the leaders we're coaching, she was really courageous. She did an open review with her team. She said, hey, team, we're, you know, f- f- optional. I'm not making anyone do this, but if you want to do this, for those who are interested, we're going to do an open review this year. And I'm going to go first. And everyone is going to give me feedback first. And she modeled it for everyone else. And she went first. And it was really hard. It was really tough for her because she was hearing things that were surprising. Yeah, of course. Yeah, but she did it first. She went first, and then the other people went after her. And you know what the team said? They said, can we do this quarterly? Why do we have to wait till the end of the year? We all want to get better. Can we just do this more often? Like, like it's not that hard, except we have to, as leaders, overcome our ego or fear of being bruised. So that's one example. If you want, I can give you another one. Mm, go for it. That's good, man. Keep it coming. Okay, I'll give you the next example of oppression. 
right now you're working your plans for next year. These usually are acts of gross oppression and irresponsible leadership and irresponsible stewardship of companies. I'm really using very strong language, but think about this. You've created your strategic plan. What, what rating did your employees give you for how good that plan is? I'll repeat, what rating from one to 10, did you send out a survey from your saying, say, hey, staff, this is the strategic plan we came up with for our company that we think will make us successful. How good did we do with this? One to 10, 10, we hit it out of the park. One, this thing is a stinker. And you ask them and you look at the scores and then you look at whatever improvements people have and you make it better. And that would be called open, that would be called closed loop control where you're getting feedback on what you're doing. Any feedback, they go, oh, this is our plan. Does anyone have any questions? Does anyone have any comments? Like it's closed. No wonder they're not engaged. By, they were never engaged no, in the process. No. We're, so basically on a yearly basis, we have designed structures of oppression. And it doesn't take much. But it requires humility, honesty, a desire to serve the organization. Like if anyone listening to this wants to help the organization have a better success next year with your strategic plan, send it out, anonymous survey. Everyone in the staff, this is our plan. We're in your town hall, but we want you to review, rate this from one to 10 and tell us what's broken in it and what can we do better. And you might go through two or three rounds of that to get to the best strategic plan. That's easy to do, but what does that mean as a leader? Wow. It means I have to have my own psychological safety. I have to work through my fear. I have to have a willingness to truly engage my people and treat them well. And, we're, and again, it's, we're not seeing anyone who's hearing this that's not doing this. You're bad. You're not. You are a victim of our society, of our organizational structures, of MBA programs, right? People go do the right thing. They say, I'm going to invest in myself. I'll get an MBA. Fantastic. That's fantastic for masters of business administration to administer and manage people and oppress them. That's how it's teaching. It's, it's within the paradigm of oppression of leaders telling people what to do. And the option is, well, we need to learn something new, masters of business leadership. How do I lead my people so that they're inspired, motivated, passionate? And everyone knows their engagement scores suck, but nothing's really done about it. And, you know, in my view, it's not anyone's fault. I think everyone gets out of jail free. Everyone is innocent because the technology for actually materially changing employee engagement has not been on planet earth until uh, the work that, that we're doing, like really the, how to connect up the dots, how to see the big picture, how to see cause and effect has not been here until our work where we've created this shift three, one, four evolutionary leadership framework that connects all the dots that gives leaders the understanding that, Oh, when I do this, I actually oppress people and I'm causing damage. Give us a peek. Oh. In that framework, obviously, I'm curious, we don't have time for, you know, the whole thing, but give us a peek into your, you got a shift 314 framework. Yeah, the evolutionary leadership framework, the SELF, because it's about the evolution of the self. We all know we want our employees to change themselves, their behavior, but that also requires that we change our self. That's why it's called the self, right? It's a, it's a, you know, it's, it, it's a killer acronym. 
<laughs> very excited about it. Okay, so, well, what is it about? What What is this framework about? It, it's about both the doing and the being. It's about both the practical tools of how do I understand how to approach change? How do I understand how to approach um, sharing power in ways that start to engage my people in safe ways? Like I'll give you a very simple example. We've got a, a free offering on our website called Decision Cards that help create a conversation about, well, what power do I hold and keep as leader? And how do I start to share power iteratively, iteratively and incrementally, right? There's an immature notion floating around called empowerment, right? And it's we want to understand how to do that and how. So ultimately what the cell framework is, it's a set of maps to orient and guide people. So they have the, the big picture, what's happening, what's my next step and so on models to reason about, understand how organizations function, how people function, principles which orient and guide and say, well, this leads to this, this is cause and effect. So people understand what's going on and how to use those to reason about what actions take. And then very practical tools, set of really a set of tools for how do I help evolve my organizational system? How do I help my people evolve? How do I lead that kind of journey? And it's really shifting leaders out of this production mentality of how do I get this project done to production capacity of how do I increase the capacity of my system to produce results on an ongoing basis. So it's really about shifting this attention onto what our jobs really should be, which is stewards of the system. Talk a little bit about this shift of power. You've referenced it multiple times, obviously things like oppression, you know, this, this top-down power a lot of experts are talking about this shift where the power has moved away from employers and more into the hands of employees with the great resignation, some of that simple supply and demand, uh, reallocation of priorities, all of that contributes. Where do you see that? Yeah, that's a, a great question. I mean, there are people who are out there saying, well, you need to have a flat organization if you want to succeed, right? And But here's the deal. You could go to a flat organization right now if everyone was showing up fully responsible, taking full responsibility, acting like adults, self-managing, which isn't the case. So what we see with organizations that we work with is there's a journey of, of evolution, a journey of rehabilitation of the leadership and a co-evolutionary journey of staff, right? And so what do I mean? Just saying, oh, give the power to the people, power to the people, I mean, that's a... Beautiful sentiment, but it doesn't work in practice because you can share the power with the people in your organization fully and let them be in charge when they act like adults, when they take full responsibility for their behavior, when they're self-motivated and passionate on their own, when they, they know how to ask for help. But we don't have those criteria, those conditions. We have people at different levels on their journey. So as leaders, we want to be much more finessed about which employees do we give more space, more latitude, more autonomy to, and where do we need to kind of hold the reins a bit tighter and help those people learn and develop so they can have more freedom, more autonomy. And, and so like there's this, co there's, there's this co-evolutionary journey. When we understand that, we now know what we need to do as a manager, as a leader within the organizational system. We now have the tools and models that we go, oh, this is what's going on. Now I see what to do. Wow, it's so clear. Now I know we have such a big challenge with telling people to come back to the office. Oh, because that's an act of oppression. I'm deciding. I haven't sought any input. 
And then you go to the other side of the spectrum where people give away all the power and say, okay, people, what do you want to do? And people go, oh, we don't want to come back. And it's like, wait a second, that doesn't work either because we need people to have the maturity to balance the needs of the person with the needs of the organizational system. And you need both views to come with the best outcome. Um, what are some of the hardest issues every leader is facing right now? So, so power is like one core dimension. Uh, we actually, in, in, the, in the, uh, the, the self-framework, there's actually seven dimensions of organizational functioning. There's like, how do I see reality? A lot of leaders still do not have reality. They have denial, distortion, misinformation, because people don't feel psychologically safe enough to share that information. So another dimension is what's happening with people, what's happening with culture, right? Are people feeling psychologically safe? Are people asking for help? Are people volunteering for things? Are they stepping into take on responsibility? And and that's so the, the and then it's like well then it comes back into well, how are we as leaders creating that? Um, I think the dimension that we talked about with power is really what we call the paradox of power, of how do we learn how to use power for good versus for damage. Another dimension is how do we approach change in our organization, and the final one is how do we think about results and how do we think about what the spectrum is because what we see here and this is a tragedy is that most organizational systems are really only considering probably about 30, 40% of human potential, right? They're organizational systems. I believe that. Uh, yeah, that, that, that are here on this planet Earth that demonstrate many, many different, all over the world and all different kinds of industries that are, are treating people in exceptional ways and getting extraordinary out-of-the-park yep. results. So it's like the news is out there that business as usual if we're, when we're doing anything like business as usual, this is the definition of low performance. And when people start to wake up and say, wait a second, what I'm doing as a leader is low performance. What organization function is low performance. It starts to create a place of choice of, well, do I want to keep on doing this? And really at our core, that's what our book Leading Beyond Change that we just released this year is all about, is giving people the, the first layer of this self-framework and a really powerful journey of these business patterns of like, this is low performance, this is high performance. Where, where do you think you are? What's happening with you? What's happening with your organization? So leaders get a really, really clear picture of where they are and where they might hope to go. Should that be their choice? What breaks your heart about organizations right now? Uh, I've been through my own journey. I've, I've, I'm not the person I was one year ago, two years ago, five years ago. And, and I'm not sure if there's any, I, I think nothing really breaks my heart at this point. I think I have a, like a lot of sad, like some sadness, some sadness, and, but mostly that turns very quickly into compassion. Just a lot of understanding is that people are stuck. You know, we're, we're so deeply conditioned. We've been conditioned since birth by our, our parents, our society, by the, the work systems to operate this way. So, so my, I guess my, my deeply held view is that everyone is, is probably doing a really bad job. Sorry, 80 to 90% of leaders are doing a really, really bad job and it's not their fault, hmm. right? And, um, you know, our, our, our work is like, you know what? You know, people are in power. They can choose what they want for themselves, for their organization, for their life. Um, but what we see is the people who choose to step up to make a better workplace realize that what I'm saying right here is 100% applicable to their family systems, to their kids, their partners, their friends, or all their, their relations. That We're just talking about how to be a decent human being 
I mean, really, because if you learn how to treat your people well at work, you realize, wait a second, I'm, I'm oppressing family members. I'm not really listening to my partner. I'm not really involving my kids. I'm actually training my kids to be theory X unmotivated people. Wow. I had no idea. And so what we see is that leaders who go on this journey have an extraordinary shift in every experience of their life. And, 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 and really what happens in their personal lives usually dwarfs, completely dwarfs what happens because usually so much more meaningful to people. So we're talking about an integrated shift in a human being. You know, the way we do one thing is the way we do everything. All right, Michael, I'm throwing you a magic wand right now. You've got the power. Uh, it has left me and it is heading to you. So with all this power, you may you wave a magic wand over every leader out there. What happens? They actually love themselves. And through that self-love, they feel psychologically safe. And through that psychological safety, they're able to control their ego and not try to be the smartest person in the room, not try to talk all the time. And then through that, they're able to transmit that sense of psychological safety, create environments of psychological safety that create leaders all around them, which is the real me measure of any of our success as leaders is how many, how, to what extent are we creating leaders around us? That's my wish. Love that. Love what you guys are about. If organizations became focused on the people over the processes, a whole lot would change. I agree with you, man, on so many points. Shift 314, evolving performance. Appreciate what you guys do. Uh, if you listeners are interested in finding out more, go ahead and check out their book. It'll be in the show notes. Check out their organization, their website. It'll be there in the show notes. And you get quite a good picture from your website of who you guys are, what you guys do. Michael, keep up the good work. Thank you so much for having me here. It's been a great conversation. So long.